Hey, folks, I'm Tom. KJ here. You know the drill. We are back to promote the Dunlap Champions Club. They've been a longtime sponsor of Front Row Knowles, and uh, we appreciate that. Uh, And you will appreciate the Champions Club if you have not been there. We've been saying this for a couple of years now, basically since it opened. You need to at least schedule a tour. The season's here. Go in, sample it, find out what you're missing. It is a great place to watch a ball game. Florida State uh, is scheduled for a 5 o'clock kick for their first home game, and I know there may even be some more. So if you want to stay out of the heat, you got that opportunity, as well as food and drink, the ability to get up and move around. It's a great place to watch a contest. It's also a great place to watch other contests because they got lots of TVs. And don't tell anybody I said that because really we want you sitting in the seats watching the FSU game. But uh, you can check on the other games too. For more information, you can call 850-644-1830 to buy tickets or schedule a tour. And now, on with the show. Broadcasting from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles First Look with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles First Look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. And by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. Online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Hello, everybody. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you. This is Front Row Knowles First Look. We do this win, lose, or draw. As we pointed out last week, it's much more enjoyable for us after a win. That's not the case today. We'll spend the whole hour talking about this, Keith, but we could sum it up in about one sentence, and that is Miami dominated all three phases of the football game and earned the victory. The only team that was victorious on Saturday night was the Marching Chiefs and maybe the horse, but the horse didn't have any competition. It, uh, yeah, it was a, it was the uh, woodshed whooping, uh, as they like to say. And it, that was so disappointing because we'd seen so many important things going the right way, or at least trending the right way, over the last couple of weeks. And then to go in and just absolutely uh, look like you didn't belong, look like it was the first game of the year, look like you had not ever practiced before, uh, was very disappointing. And I know um, the majority of Dope Campbell Stadium left unhappy. The reason I only say the majority is Miami had a number of their fans there. I was told they did not return any tickets. They sold their complete allotment, and they were happy and making noise. I think what you just hit on is going to be maybe the, one of the biggest points of frustration for FSU folks is it felt like a regression. I really have felt most of this year that Florida State had made progress, taken steps forward. And I'm not willing to say that they haven't at this point. I, I do think it. when you look at the offense, and I commented to you as we were walking up, and we can, we'll talk about the offensive line, Keyshawn Helton being out is noticeable, and Ontario Wilson too, I think, but particularly Keyshawn because what he was giving you more than DJ was uh, an ability to, to shake free and, and turn that six-yard gain into 10 or 11 and get a first down. But that I'm not saying Keyshawn would have won the game, but the offense is not as good as what it was a couple weeks ago because they've lost a couple parts. Cole Minshew, I guess, got hurt and didn't play much of the game on the offensive line. Darius Washington went down for a little bit, but they really rotated left tackles. I'm not sure about the reasoning for Bavion instead of Baselli, and I don't know enough about how the centers have graded out. I thought Baselli looked pretty good the last two weeks, but I didn't necessarily think Bavion looked bad before that. The bottom line is that the offensive line had a very poor night, and they're a bad offensive line to begin with, if that makes sense. So that's a to use our uh, we just had the World Series to use a baseball phrase. That's a that's a career 230 hitter you know, going two for 27 in the World Series. He's he's not a good hitter to begin with, and he had a horrible series. Well, this is not a very good offensive line, and they had a horrible game. 
and as a result, uh, they gave up nine sacks. That's a new FSU record for opponents' sacks uh, in the history of the program, and that's sad because NC State said it, what, two or three weeks ago at eight. So now this particular offense line has the two worst performances ever in terms of the sta- sta- statistic of stack, uh, sacks for an opponent. Uh, it, it was just bad. You, uh, there were times they tried to cut block. They didn't cut anybody. They tried to they tried to zone block. They didn't they didn't block anybody. There were times that they were one on one and they got beat. And Willie even said it first first really insightful. That's not the right word. First really critical comment I've heard from Coach Taggart was in the post game. Uh, I interpreted what he said about the offensive line as being he was he was very disappointed and that they got whipped physically, and that that was a, a kind of a comment in in promoting and congratulating Miami but the veiled behind it is that they got whipped physically it wasn't just the five of them doing it collectively they were each and individually getting whipped individually and and that's just saddening very saddening let's listen to coach Taggart's comments following a 27 to 10 Miami win let me also give credit to Miami's defense that's a good defense there so that is part of the problem and we'll get into that uh, but the other part of the problem is that Florida State's OL has been a liability the last couple of years, and we've all known that, and it, and it reared its head on Saturday night. Here's the comments of Coach Taggart after the, uh, the win by Miami. Of course, we're, we're frustrated with the loss, um, and to be honest with you, words aren't, aren't going to make it better right now. Uh, we've got to uh, come back to practice, get better, and, and, and get ready for BC. Um, again, uh, disappointed. Uh, didn't do enough to try to win that ball game, and uh, we've got to get better quick. Uh, Willie, just started off with some penalties and just things not going right for you guys. Just how do you explain some of the issues maybe that you thought were corrected that came back again in this game? Well, it's, it's again, it's unacceptable. You know, um, getting the, the, not enough guys on the line of scrimmage, those things hadn't happened to us for a while. But those pre-snap penalties, jumping off sides and things we, we, we address every day in practice, um, you, you can't do it. I mean, we got to. That put us in a hole. It put us in a hole in the first half and, and found ourselves in a lot of uh, long yardage situations. And it's tough against a really good defense. And uh, we knew it going in. We talked about it. We, we worked on it. And uh, we just didn't, we didn't play with a lot of poise and, and confidence, especially early. And, and um, it cost us. Coach, field position was an issue today. That's something that we haven't seen a ton of this season. I guess what were some of the issues that led to that that you saw? Uh, those penalties, um, especially early penalties, and we didn't do anything offensively, so we wouldn't, we didn't flip the field. Uh, we didn't do anything offensive. offensively. We didn't do anything special team-wise to, to flip the, the uh, field position and, and to win the hidden yardage. We didn't do that. I thought offensively and defense, I mean offensively and special teams, we, we didn't come and play. Willie, uh, offensive line obviously is not a, a new issue, but are you surprised at, at how Miami is able to do- dominate both against the run and the pass? Uh, um, I was. Um, again, um, I don't think we really had a game like that where we just, it was, I mean, every play, we back there, the quarterback not having time to get rid of the ball. Um, um, that's very disappointing and didn't think that was going to happen. We knew they had a good D-line and a good defense, but uh, we didn't think that would happen to us. Coach, obviously, any loss in a rivalry game is tough. What did you guys? What did you say to the guys in the locker room to kind of console them about this loss? 
Well, we just, it was frustrating. Uh, we, I mean, they all upset, um, disappointed. Um, they all wanted to win this ball game really bad. And, um, but they also know um, we got to play winning football. You can't, you can't have those penalties even get us behind, and, and we got to block. You know, we got to um, be where we're supposed to be. If you got the middle third, you got to be there, you know. Um, and then we got to do a better job as coaches to make sure our guys are in the right place and, and, and um, the right place to make plays. Willie, was there any thought to going to uh, Blackman earlier? Um, no, not necessarily. I didn't think um, it was it was Hornibrook. He was getting hit quite a bit, you know. Um, I will say we probably could have got rid of the ball a little early at times, but um, no, we just we wouldn't doing a good job protecting um, and, and running, uh, run blocking. Big recruiting weekend for you guys. I, I know relationships are more important than results, but what are you what are you marketing to to these high school players to? For your program right now uh, what we've been marketing since day one or what we're trying to build here you know we're trying to build a program and uh, we want these young men to come and, and help us build this program so we're going to continue to sell what we've been selling we're selling florida state university we're selling our program where we're trying to go with it and, and letting them know that they're going to be a big part in helping us get back to where we want to go but it won't get back unless we continue to get good football players to come in here and build it back Hey, Coach. Um, with as much success as, as you guys had with Cam and the Wildcat last week and the drive that you guys got to 10 points here tonight, um, did you want to go to Cam even more than you guys were able to in that formation? And what were your overall thoughts on, on how you guys did when he was in the game uh, in that Wildcat? Um, I thought early they uh, came out, they made adjustment to it, and they went um, uh, cover zero and, and tried to bring everybody in there. And I thought we made some adjustment to be able to uh, – get Cam free at, at times. Um, I thought it worked for us uh, for the most part. Um, Cam was battling a toe injury and didn't practice a lot this week. And uh, so coming into the game, we didn't have a lot of that package in for us, you know. So I um, <clears throat> wanted to be smart with him. And um, But I thought what they were doing defensively um, kind of took some things away from us. We did make a couple adjustments and were able to get in there. And that was good to see. But um, um, again, could you run it more? Probably, but I think being being behind and being behind the sticks at times it, it takes away from a lot of those things. So uh, we got to play cleaner football to be able to do a lot of the things that we want to do. Coach, you're uh, four and five. I think you were same record at this point last year. <clears throat> the fans are going to look at the results, but what are you seeing inside the program that are signs that you guys are making progress that maybe we aren't seeing on the field right now? Well, um, I think if you just look at if you. What you all do, uh, look at statistic, you'll see some improvement from where we were last year in a lot of areas. You know, um, again, it's at the end of the day, when you talk about fans, it, it all comes down to winning. You know, we got to find a way to win. They don't want to hear all the other stuff. They want to win. And so we got to find a way to win ball games. And uh, we know what we got going on inside, and our guys are fighting. Um, again, we got to keep working. We got to find a way to win. Again, I don't think you're going to please anyone until you, until you win ball games. And that's our job, it's my job to try to find a way and get this program back to where it belongs. And we're gonna work our tails off to do to do that. And we got three ball games left, you know, and I don't think there's any quitting on anybody in there. You know, we got three ball games left and everybody's gonna be committed to those three ball games to, to try to correct it. Tough loss, Coach Taggart, the coaching staff, the players, nobody feels good about the situation. I go back to what I started with. Uh, not that you want moral victories, but 
I, I was prepared for a game that was going to come down to one possession either way, really. That's the way the last five seasons of this have gone. Both these teams, Miami and FSU, have similar issues. Miami has quarterback problems. You may not know that from watching how their starter performed on Saturday. They have OL issues. You may not have noticed that from how FSU's defense performed. You did see the kicking issues when they missed a chip shot. But, I mean, so there's similarities there. But I, I really felt like this was going to be a typical Miami FSU fourth quarter. There's six or seven minutes to go, and one team is down three or seven, and the game is still hanging the balance. I did not expect to see it unfold the way it ultimately did, where really, uh, you know, at 17-10, you thought Florida State still had a chance, but then Miami finished it. Part of the reason for that, and we haven't talked about them yet, but in addition to the offensive line regressing, Florida State's defensive backfield regressed. Uh, on the one long touchdown pass, Willie admitted in post game that there was an assignment breakdown, a missed assignment. You can't have a missed assignment in the ninth game of the season against a rival. That's just unacceptable. And there were a couple of other times when Miami's receivers outperformed or, or, or out-athleted uh, FSU's defensive backs. We've known that, that the DBs for Florida State had a problem with the balls in the air, but over the last three or four or five weeks, we, we have at least have seen them be in a position to make a play. Well, they regressed, and they were not in a position to make a play. And they, In fact, they missed assignments and didn't make plays. And and that just can't be in the ninth game of the season against a rival. Uh, if not for that, the game probably would have ended 17-10 or 20-10 um, and, and not been as bad, at least for those that didn't watch the entire contest. I did think the defense, and we'll talk about them more in, in another segment, but I thought they played well enough to stay in the ball game, even with the breakdowns. Miami only rushed for 40 yards. I think they threw for a little over 300 but it, so it wasn't, you know, like it was a juggernaut offensive performance. Um, but Florida State's inability on offense to sustain anything really put FSU's defense in the hole a couple of times. And as a result, Miami comes out the victor. That may be the part that reminded me the most of last year because this was a game where every time the defense got on the field, Miami was already in plus territory with a short field. I mean, they, they went three drives in a row and started at the FSU 46, 40, shank punt, 28, whatever it was. Uh, that's tough, and, and Miami's not a great offense, but I, I do think the defense, they played better, they, they played well, you, you said it correctly, but they gave up three or four or five big plays, and, and Miami cashed in. We'll talk more about the defense momentarily. We're just getting started on Front Row Knowles. First look, we'll come back. You want to go, I guess we got to go offense first. We got to start at the beginning, and that means... The beginning of the bad. The yeah. beginning of the bad. That means we got to talk about penalties and all that when we come back on Front Row Knowles First Look. Front Row Knowles First Look is presented by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Miami wins it over Florida State 27-10. to 10. Tom Block, Keith Jones with you as we continue on Front Row Knowles First Look. We're going to talk offense in this segment for Florida State. A uh, lot to point out, not a lot of successes in that. I guess we should do some business first, and then I'll... Uh, then I'll get back to the offense, Keith. <laughs> we remind you that Cornerstone Tool and Fastener is your location for all of your tool needs. It's where all the pros and do-it-yourself workers shop. Big box pricing with local service. Two locations to choose from, 1110 Stuckey Avenue and 3269 Crawfordville Highway. Tallahassee location open on Saturdays from 8 a.m. until noon. Cornerstone Tool and Fastener. I wish they had a tool that would keep offensive linemen from jumping offsides early. And we saw that in the very first offensive play of the ballgame against Miami. 
Florida State was behind the chains literally the entire ball game. It it was almost comical. I mean, when you get second and twenty five, there's not a play for that. And when every time you're running it's first and ten or second and eleven or second and twelve it gets demoralizing. I mean, people were getting frustrated with some of the calls that Browles was making. You couple that with it being, you know, third and nine, and you're on your own 19, you know, how much of a of a chance do you take? You, you end up with nine sacks. You end up with, uh, you know, a, a running game that with the, if you take away, well, there were 93 yards of negative rushing in this ballgame. They had 16. Miami had 16 tackles for loss, nine sacks, as we've talked about. How do you call that game? And and it just makes it so demoralizing and so difficult. And and for those that haven't really processed it, go back and watch that game, and that'll be the textbook serial film on what it's like to play behind the sticks as opposed to being ahead of the sticks. I'm just looking at my own notes that I took during the game from the sideline. So Florida State's first drive holding on Trey McKitty, uh, dropped it to second and 21. So the first series, they had a second and 21. Then the second series, Florida State starts at its own 25, illegal formation, immediately made it first and 15. Then a holding on Trey McKitty negated a first down. So you were back to first 25 and backed up. Ended up fourth and 30 after a sack, and you punted two sacks in a row. Your third drive, you start at your own 26, Uh, in a legal formation, change it from second and two, one of the rare times you're ahead in the change, to second and seven, which is technically behind the change again. And I'll stop there. You get the point. You watch the game. That's just the way it went the entire ballgame. And it's so frustrating because this offense is predicated upon being quick, taking advantage of the defense. In fact, you and I were talking after the game. This is really not Browse's offense as he wants it to. They ran 69 plays. Uh, which is good, but they were not snapping the ball quickly. They would go to the line, get a call, go to the line, then everybody would look back over and get another call, and that takes another six or eight or as much as ten seconds versus this offense is designed to go to the line and run the play. So the fact that they're changing the play is outside the scope in theory of what you want to accomplish with this offense, and it also tells me that the coaching staff is so concerned about the offensive line that they're going to make sure they help. If I don't know what flexibility of any Hornibrook has at the line of scrimmage to change things, but whatever they're getting called from upstairs and relayed to downstairs, they're so worried about the offensive line, they're changing every play once the defense gets lined up. Well, that totally negates everything that this hurry-up is all about, and, and it, it was just a bad, bad showing. I talk, I talk, excuse me, Tom, I talk a lot about optics because, you know, how things appear and how they look. The score was bad, and it looked, it looked bad getting there. The tempo, your point about the tempo, one of the things, one of the reasons why Florida State likes the tempo and goes fast is it covers up some of the deficiencies in the offensive line because you're hoping the defense isn't lined up. And, and that little split second, if they're not lined up, there's a gap, and now you get a four-yard gain instead of a, a no-yard gain. Um, the offensive line, I thought, had gotten better the last couple of weeks. I made the comment I thought they were better at all three positions after the, after the switch, but it's hard to make that claim uh, right now in light of watching what Miami did to it. Now, Cole Minshew, I, I think most would agree that he's been an upgrade, but he was out after the first quarter, so I didn't see what happened to him. Didn't go back in. Uh, the center position... 
you know, I don't know that you're getting a lot more out of Babion than you were getting out of Baselli. And I don't know if it's fair to say that Baselli had outplayed Babion based on the last two weeks against Wake Forest and Syracuse, who aren't very stout up front on the defensive line. And then, it, it, you know, the left tackle, you've got a true freshman against a good Miami defensive front, or you've got Bellow or Juwan Williams. But what, however you want to slice it, these are the parts, and you can move them around as many different ways as you want, but you've got to have five of them out there, and Miami's four were better than your five. Well, in particular, their redshirt freshman, Rosselli, he had four sacks of his own. I think he had six tackles for loss. You know, he was a, 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 a wrecking crew in his own right, and nobody could handle him. I mean, there were times he literally ran by an offensive lineman and very, barely got touched. It was it was very disconcerting. And I think Coach Clements and Coach uh, Bryles and, and even Willie are going to go back and look at that film, and they're going to be more disappointed than I think they were after the ball game without having looked at the film. It, it, it was a bad, bad performance. Just looking at the rest of my notes, so it was the third drive when Florida State got the field goal to cut it to 7-3. and to three. And I'm not trying to pick on Trey McKitty, who ended up leaving the game injured, and that probably affected Florida State too because he's a pretty good tight end, but he was not having a great day. It was first and goal at the 9, and he was open on a slant, and Hornibrook put it on him. Good play by the Miami defender to hit it and knock it free. I'm not convinced that he scores, but it was going to be second and goal at the 1 if that catch is made. Instead, you're once again behind the change, and you settle for a field goal. And I'm not sure you would classify that particular play as a drop. Maybe you should give credit to the defensive back for getting his hand on the ball, catchable though it was. But we saw some drops again from Florida State. The, the one that stands out to me most is uh, Tremont Terry. I mean, he had a couple that were right in his hands. Now, he's made some big plays, and he has bailed Florida State out of some games. There's no question. But the, the receiving core even seemed – maybe it's contagious – I teasingly tell people, you, you put me with the best golfer, scratch golfer, you know, that you know, and I'll have him ruined by three holes when I'm playing with him because I'm, I'm contagious. My bad is contagious. Maybe the offensive line bad is contagious with everybody else. Um, I don't know, but the whole receiving core did not help out Hornerbrook either. I'm continue, Yeah, I think that's a fair statement. And let's, you know, we can, we can debate quarterbacks. We can talk about Cam and the Wildcat. Do we agree that regardless of which three you had back there for the majority of snaps, if you can't block it, it wasn't going to be a different result? It could have been me or you back there, Tommy. The result would have been the same. That's what it feels like having, having watched it unfold. Um, the fourth down and one, when Florida State decided to go for it in its own territory, it was 7-3, to three, and you and I, we talked – you know, off air as we can converse. We were both in agreement that we liked the decision at that point. I didn't particularly like the call. That would have been a time I would have liked to seen direct to Cam so you have an extra blocker, but I like the decision. I very much like the decision. I I despise the call. Not only was the call bad, it was it was the wrong call because they were not even in the shotgun. They were in the pistol. So Cam was seven or eight yards behind the line of scrimmage. He wasn't four yards behind the line of scrimmage to either side. Uh, and, and I said to myself, I, I may even said to you, you might not have heard me, is why are we not in Wildcat? Because that's the perfect opportunity to run Cam with an extra blocker. Love the decision. Have no problem with the decision. Thought the play call was horrible. Miami gets it short field. They score a touchdown on that drive, makes it 14-3. to That's when it opened up. Uh, you know, even though Florida State did get it to a touchdown later. Let's talk about Cam real quick. 
Uh, it needs to be pointed out, and Taggart did so after the game, Cam was nicked up from last week and didn't practice a whole lot. And if you're not practicing a whole lot, it's hard to really put in new plays and, and do things that you have not tested. We saw a lot less of the uh, you know the read option this week with him and Laburn, and I don't know if that's lack of practice or if that was a respect for Miami, thinking that that wasn't going to work against Miami. But the, the bigger point being, if Cam is out, you can't do a whole lot. And if Cam had been in, there's some other things I'm sure they could have done out of the wild Cam, QB3, whatever the appropriate term is. But he was limited in what he could do. Um, and we, we've talked about this. He played most of last year nicked up and had a bad toe. We didn't know. I was not aware that he had how much time he had missed during practice until after the game. Uh, obviously, Florida State doesn't disclose those things. I get that. don't like it, but I get that. That's their prerogative. But it does explain why there was a little bit less smoothness and not a more creative approach in using him at the quarterback position. And his numbers were respectable. I think he finished the game with 70 yards rushing, uh, net rushing. Uh, not great performance. I uh, got the ball to him 22 times. You and I had uh, agreed that you know, somewhere around plus or minus 25, whether it's running the ball, throwing the ball, or having the ball thrown to him, is, is about where you want him. You don't want to wear him out. Uh, but do credit Miami defensively because they had seen it. You know, some people were saying, why in the world did we run the Wildcat, Wildcam QB3 last week? Well, the reason you ran it is to see if it would work. Because <laughs> you don't want to hide it and keep it and just run it on Miami if you've only run it in practice. Because you don't know how kids are going to react to it. Plus, the bigger part, you ran it last week. Miami's got to prepare for it this week, even if you never use it. That means some of their practice time was committed to finding and practicing ways to defense it. So I have no problem with introducing it last week. Uh, I think it was a shame that Cam was, was nicked up and wasn't able to get full practice time this week because I think it would have been a little more effective if they had had some time to um, put some other wrinkles in. Anything else on the offensive side? Well, they just got to regroup, and, and there's not a lot you can really do you you can't bring in five new people on the offensive line you can mix up the the combinations um but you've just got to go with what you got and and it's going to be a difficult road uh there's no other way about it if this if this offense doesn't move forward at the same fashion they move backwards you know i don't know if you're going to get bowl eligible i don't i don't know what that's going to mean but it's not going to be nice all right, we'll switch it. We'll talk about the defensive performance for Florida State when we continue on Front Row Knowles' First Look. Front Row Knowles' First Look is presented by Hobson Chevrolet in Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Here's Tom and Keith. We are back on Front Row Knowles' First Look. Tom and KJ with you. Florida State falls to Miami 27-10. Let's talk about the defensive performance, which if you just looked at the numbers – you would think, well, not not terrible. And honestly, given the short fields they had to defend, uh, they they played pretty well, save for, and this is a big except or a big asterisk, maybe four plays in the game. Two of them on the first touchdown drive, uh, the one late when it was a one-score game, and Miami uh, goes one play on the drive for a 55-yard touchdown or whatever it was. And most of those, if not all of them, were, were on, as we've talked about, the defensive backs. A couple of them were physical plays where, you know, Akeem Dent got uh, on a one-on-one, uh, got there a little bit late, had a guy covered, got there just a little bit late, wasn't able to get the ball away from him. The long touchdown was a missed assignment, busted assignment. 
yeah, you take those four plays away, I think defensively FSU held Miami to somewhere around 350, 380. You take those four plays away, you're somewhere around 250, 280. And, and that would have been, I think we, going in, all of us would agree if you could have held them to under 300 yards of offense, hold them to 40 yards rushing, you liked your chances. And, and arguably, a couple of those touchdowns, at least 14 of those points, were on turnovers and bad play on the special teams in terms of punts and shank punts and a punt return. And so I think defensively you're not happy, but I think the defensive staff, the defensive players can look at themselves and say, you know, we might not have played well enough to win, but we certainly played well enough to tie. We didn't play poorly. Again, no moral victories. Uh, everybody's got to participate, but uh, I don't think there's a lot of uh, wagging of the finger you can do against the defense, save you know, the mistakes in the secondary. At some point, somebody in the secondary needs to hold on to a football and make a pick. I mean, Levante Taylor had one right in his hands. Keem Dent had one he should have picked. I mean, when you get those opportunities, you have to squeeze the football. You know, our listeners hate when I go backwards, you know, being old and talk about things that happened 35 and 40 years ago. But that was an unbelievable matter of pride in, in the groups that I played with. If you were a defensive back and you got your hands on the ball, because that happens so rarely, it's so, so unlikely to happen as opposed to the receivers getting their hands on the ball, there was just a, an unwritten code that, that you were not going to let that ball hit the ground, period, the end. And, and again, you know, Bobby and Monk and I, we started 33 games, because you don't count statistics in bowl games back then, but we started 33 games and we had 38 interceptions. I mean, there was one ball going to be picked off by us every ball game. In an era when it was 60 and 70% run, and, and, you know, offense was lucky to run 60 plays in a ball game. I don't know why the kids can't catch the ball. I, I, that's, a, that's just beyond my comprehension. But they can't, and they don't, and it's just frustrating, very frustrating. Another thing I was – well, I was frustrated by it, but maybe more surprised. Heard a lot of talk about Miami not being very good on the offensive line, and yet – and play action was part of it. I mean, it was play action that worked, even though Miami wasn't running the football at all. Uh, Florida State didn't get home very often. Our, we did blitz a lot, and so you can credit Coach Barnett and his staff for bringing pressure. But we were bringing a lot of pressure from the outside and from one side. We'd bring a safety. We'd bring a corner. We'd loop one of the linebackers around. It never looked to me like, and, and I may be wrong, I haven't gone back and looked at the ten, uh, the tape, but it never looked to me like we got pressure up the middle. It was always coming from one side or the other. So Williams is a pretty good athlete. He's not known to be a running quarterback, but he's athletic enough. He would just roll out or skate to the opposite side, and and Florida State ended up pressuring him some, but I think they only registered two sacks in the ballgame. So credit Williams individually and maybe Florida State needs to go back and look at their blitz packages about doing things up the middle more so than bringing them from the outside. Now, there might have been a legitimate reason for doing that. I don't know the game plan. But just to the naked eye and to first appearance, I'd rather see pressure coming up the middle than from one side or the other. Generally speaking, pressure up the middle is going to affect the quarterback because he can't step into it. I will say that when he was flushed from the pocket, 
he was not very accurate, whether it was left or right. He'd get the throw off. But but the big plays he hit, again, some of them play action. Miami throws a lot on first down. They're throwing on, you know, a more traditional rundown or what you'd call a neutral down, I guess. Uh, but those were clean p- pockets when he hit those throws. Well, and we said we knew that the the little kid that played in the slot, names escaped me right Jeff, now. Jeff Thomas. Thomas, 5'9", blazing speed. Love to get him in the slot because sometimes when you're in a slot, you get him matched up with a safety. A safety traditionally not as uh, adept at covering as a corner. And, and by golly, they did. And it was a very beautiful pass thrown by Williams uh, for a touchdown. And you just knew they were going to go to that a time or two or three, and they were successful at it. They they used their receivers. You know, coming into the ball game, there wasn't a lot of hype about their receivers as a group uh, versus, say, you know, the, the group from Wake Forest with Surratt and that group. But I thought Miami's receivers called everything that was catchable, and, and they did a very good job of route running. And you got to believe that uh, from a grading standpoint, you would certainly say that Miami's wide receivers – graded better than Florida's defensive backs, Florida State's defensive backs. Yeah, no question. Good tight end, too, again, for Miami, which that's always the case. Uh, he didn't have any huge splash plays, but he had a lot of key catches to, to move the chains. And they got D.J. Dallas back. Now, his numbers were not in particular. He had that one nice run on the uh, third and 12 when he picked up 16. You know, and obviously uh, a down that you think they're going to throw, and they ran a little bit of a – it wasn't even a draw. It was more of a misdirection uh, wide play. Uh, I thought he ran very effectively. He showed you why they like him. He had been nicked up and out with injury, uh, but he came back to this ball game and and I think performed very well for them. Uh, the the guy that that their off made their offense go was Williams, uh, their quarterback. He ended up throwing for a little over 300 yards, and I was very impressed with him. wasn't terribly accurate, but when he had to make plays, his receivers made them for him, and he put the ball where he needed to. Miami, I think, was only three for 15 on third down conversions. Two of them come to mind, and they were they were DJ making them. One was the run you just mentioned, and one was the second drive of the game, that screen play that winds up going 41 yards that precedes the touchdown on the next play. Well, you don't have to convert very many third downs when you go on your first drive of a series and throw it 54, 55 yards for a touchdown. That will help those statistics, if you will, or, or hide those statistics. Miami did what they needed to do to win, particularly particularly when Florida State gave them a short field. Uh, they took advantage of it. And, you know, you've you got to play all three segments of the ball game: offense, defense, and special teams. And Florida State's punt team did not have a good night, period, the end. Uh, and, and, and it showed. Those hidden yardage that we all learned about under the Fisher era really came back to bite Florida State. As long as you brought up the punter, it's not really defense. My sense was the very first punt of the game, Miami came close to blocking it. And several times thereafter, I don't know if it was the same guy, but they had something there where they were getting close, and Tommy Martin was rushing his punts, and he was almost trying to punt away from uh, the guy that was charging in, and that produced those two shanks. We use the term somebody short arms it. They short arm a three ball, or they, they, they short arm, or the catcher short arms a ball down to second base on a steal. He was short punting it or short kicking it, trying to get it away quicker than he should. Did not allow him to fully step, did not allow him to fully extend, and he shanked two of them. Which didn't help the field position situation. It obviously contributed to the field position situation. What else on the defensive side of the ball, Keith? Um, uh, you know, Again, you got to credit Miami. They did a nice job because I don't recall saying much about Durden or Cooper or Marvin Wilson during that game. 
they had okay games. They, they did what they needed to do. They certainly didn't record great statistics. Um, you know, I, I, I think Florida State's defense is what it is. It, it's a team that will be good against the run. They'll, they'll, when they bring pressure, they've got to affect the quarterback or the defensive backfield is not strong enough to stay with receivers. And they just need to relook at how they're bringing that pressure and maybe when they're bringing that pressure in order to not put them put the defensive backs at risk, at least not put them at risk more times than is reasonable to do during the ball game. Anything else on the defensive side of the ball? I'm out of, I'm out of things, Tommy. I thought you were. Me as well. Let's go to break. We'll come back and wrap things up on Front Row Knowles' First Look. Front Row Knowles' First Look is presented by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Here's Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles' First Look, Tom and KJ. Uh, took us a while during the break there to determine what exactly the performance of the game would be, given the circumstances, but lo and behold, we found one. It may be a stretch, but it's time now for our Prime Meridian Bank performance of the game, and we're going to give it to the Wild Cam, the Wild Cat, or the QB3, whatever you want to call it, on the one drive when it worked well. And Cam Akers was able to come in and perform, had a nice run up the middle, had a couple of passes that uh, were uh, completed, and we're going to call that our Prime Meridian performance of the game. Speaking of performance, Prime Meridian Bank was just named one of the best banks to work for by American Banker Magazine. Want the bank where they greet you by name, smiling faces that offer you coffee and a cookie when you walk through the door? Well, that's what I call a great performance. Try my bank. Prime Meridian Bank, member FDIC, offices Tallahassee, Crawfordville, and Lakeland are on the web at trymybank.com. Okay, disclaimer. Miami won all three phases of that football game, and what I'm about to discuss would not have had a bearing on the overall outcome. But the play that appeared to be a lateral, that apparently I'm the only one who couldn't tell immediately that it was definitely a forward pass because the guys in stripes certainly knew just as they did last year they knew that that was a forward pass is it not worth looking at that was it that obvious did i just miss it you have the tv view i'm looking more at the big board when it comes up it was close should have been viewed this this officiating crew uh like florida state's offensive line did not have a good night uh the the roughing the passer targeting called on the field not upheld by the replay booth, that was bogus, absolutely bogus. That was textbook targeting. How in the world they could not call that from upstairs, I have no idea. Evidently, evidently, I saw a replay they didn't see maybe. I don't know. That's what's so frustrating, and you're down on the field barking in my ear, it's been a minute and a half, it's been two minutes, it's been three minutes. Why does it take so long? I don't I don't get it. I just don't get it. I was going to the targeting next, but since you jumped ahead, we'll return to the other play. I looked at the one replay they showed on the big board. It was textbook targeting. And so my comment to you was, why do they need three minutes? They need to look at one replay. It's targeting. We're done. And this, this just continues the fact that nobody knows what targeting is. You are actually maybe the only human being in the country that knows the actual rule and could recite all the different tenets of it, but yet you now can't determine when you see it happen with the naked eye if they're going to call it or not. Well, now that you say that, that replay on the big board is produced by Seminole Productions. That was not the telecast production. Maybe they didn't have that angle. 
Maybe they were looking at different angles. But the angle on the big board was very clear based on everything I've been ta taught and tried to learn. Because you you got to remember, and again, I'm waxing philosophical. I have people that I played with, people I played against, come up to me all the time and say, Jones, how many games would you have been tossed out of when you were a player? Because we led with our helmet. There was no such thing as a defensive player. He came across the middle. He was mine. <laughs> I'm taking him. I would have been thrown out of however many ball games under this rule. Now, I, I hope I would have learned to adapt what I was doing and blah, 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 blah. That's why it's personal to me. I, I just I can't fathom how they miss that. You just used the word adapt. So let's go back to eliminate this frustration for now. The reason they created a targeting rule was to curb the habits of how people make tackles. What frustrates me now is that every time you see a targeting call, it's not because somebody got a 30-yard head start and had his head first and was running into somebody. It's a ticky-tack borderline. The ball carrier lowered his head. There was a last-minute movement. Rarely is it that the defender is trying to launch and target and yet we we sit here and waste time during games trying to figure it out. It's it's in, it's infuriating. We used to have a rule called the spearing rule, okay, and 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 targeting was the was intended to take the spearing rule and expand it to make it better. And and I applaud the effort. I got no problem with the effort, but the implementation of it, which is also the thing that we're going to spend in the next weeks to come several shows on this name, image, and likeness that the NCAA has approved, it's the implementation that is going to be what's most interesting. Not that everybody agrees that having a targeting rule is a good rule to have, no question, but it's the implementation of it that is driving everybody bonkers. And by the way, the same thing's going to happen with the NIL. Watch it. Gives me another chance to point out that we could relieve some frustration and save valuable minutes of replay time if they would just let the conference office review the targeting calls on Sunday and then determine it. You've already flagged them. You're already marching off 15 yards. Just figure out later on, and then we won't be so upset. That of all the changes, short-term changes that would lead to long-term benefit, Mr. Block has the best one. So back to the lateral, non-lateral, your, your point is that I should calm down and it was more forward than it was backwards and pretty obvious if you were watching the TV view. It was, in my estimation, it was pretty obvious the one I saw. Okay, then I'll walk that one back. It's a little hard on the sidelines to see that. I did find it kind of ironic that you had a close play a year after Florida State is going to win a football game at Miami if that play gets reviewed. Well, you had a missed field goal by Miami, and you're thinking, will that come back to haunt them at some point in time? Now, it didn't. But you can't tell me, Mr. Block, you weren't down there on the sidelines making a note going, he missed a field goal. That may come back to haunt him sometime. He missed it wide to the right, too, <laughs> as Mr. Deckerhoff pointed out. All right, Keith, so we know the we, – we can count to three, which is how many games Florida State has left, and we can also count to two, which is how many wins they need to get bowl eligible. And we can count to one, which is a win they're going to get against Alabama State. And then we can also look at the two games on the road, the other ones, and uh, neither is going to be easy, especially at Florida at the end of the year. So I think most are going to feel like this coming Saturday, Florida State better find a way to get a win in Chestnut Hill. 
and what BC did to Syracuse on the same day that Florida State lost to Miami is not going to make Florida State fans happy. If you haven't heard yet, 691 yards of total offense. BC beat Syracuse 58-27. to DJ had, uh, Dylan rather, had 240 yards rushing, and his backup had 180. They had 500, 496, 500 yards of rushing, and they just ran the ball down Syracuse's throat. Now, Syracuse's defense is not Florida State's defense. Florida State much stouter. Florida State's strength is stopping the run. They held the Hurricanes on Saturday to 40 yards net rushing. But 400 and something, nearly 500 yards of rushing is going to get Florida State's defensive attention, and Florida State fans are going to be anxious. This is a different ball game maybe than we thought it would be absent this recent performance by B.C. Think back. So I agree with you. Syracuse, not only are they not a good team, I think they pretty much have packed it in and quit at this point. Uh, but you can't discredit BC too much on that. But remember a year ago when Florida State was fighting for bowl eligibility, nobody thought FSU would beat BC at home, and they managed to do it with last year's team. Uh, and, I, and and for most of the season, we've thought that the offense was at least uh, you know a little bit better this year than last. So I think there is hope there because I think Florida State can score points on BC's defense. Um, you want to play that game from ahead. You don't want to be behind 14 nothing and watching them hand off to Dylan for three and a half yards three times in a row move the chains, three times in a row move the chains. So you do want to play from ahead. You pointed out as we were getting ready to do this taping that Syracuse offense scored 27 points. Syracuse offense is not very good either. So certainly Florida State should be able to score more points than that. And so, yeah, I like our chances. I just think with the offensive performance that BC put up, it's going to cause pause for Florida State faithful and for the Florida State staff relative to going into that ball game, which would be a little different if they had not had such offensive explosiveness against Syracuse. Another question that's been asked at different points this year, you know, is Florida State going to pack it in? Is Florida State going to quit? I think nine games in, we've seen that they're they're not going to quit. They have their issues, but but not showing up has not been one of them. So I would expect them to show up, especially given everything we just laid out. I agree. And I think uh, Willie and the staff have confidence they'll do that. Uh, I think you can look at Marvin Wilson, you can look at Cam Akers, uh, <coughs> pardon me, and you can say those are kids that are not going to quit, uh, and they'll they'll do everything within their power uh, to make sure their 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 teammates don't as well. I'm not worried about them going out and just laying down. I'm not worried about them going out and quitting. I do continue to worry about the execution part. I do continue to worry about do they get the big picture. I do continue to worry about are they mentally focused, i.e. the pre-snap penalties, the alignment penalties. I mean, those you know, this far into the season, those are things that just can't happen to a good football team. So that tells me that Florida State is something less than a good football team trying to become a good football team, which you have to do before you have any chance whatsoever of being a great football team. Have we left anything out that we need to address? Aguayo made the kick. I thought the spear planting by Osceola was, was exceptional. I do know that the marching Chiefs won halftime. I think we're done. 
But we'll be back on Wednesday to do it once more. You will be starting basketball season, as a matter of fact, so you'll join the show from Pittsburgh on the eve, uh, not the eve, on the night that Florida State tips things off, and uh, we'll talk about Leonard Hamilton's uh, season opener and more about FSU football. Until then, he's Keith. I'm Tom. Thanks for tuning in on Front Row Knowles' First Look.